Nation on God's Green Earth, a great day as the nation prepares for its great national holiday of Thanksgiving, which is a uh, glorious aspect of American tradition, but not everybody thinks so. Should Thanksgiving Day become a day of mourning? We'll be talking to uh, a Native American activist, what is called a First Nations Indigenous Peoples activist from uh, Boston, uh, which is close to where all the events of the Thanksgiving story occurred. We'll be talking with him about his view of the proper way to celebrate and commemorate this particular holiday. Uh, there's also a cause for celebration for a lot of people who want uh, more transparency in government and particularly transparency concerning the record of a certain former president who also wants to become a future president. We're talking, of course, about President Trump, the Supreme Court of the United States, three of whose nine members were appointed by President Trump, has uh, issued an order that means that the Treasury Department may quickly hand over six years of tax record from tax records from Trump and some of his companies to the House Ways and Means Committee. Now, is it possible that those papers will get to the House Ways and Means Committee before the uh, leadership of that committee completely reverses? Because, of course, the Republicans, no matter how much they fell short in some of their goals for the midterm elections, they succeeded in winning a House majority. There is now going to be a Republican House majority, a new speaker, and new leadership on the House Ways and Means Committee. So what does that mean for getting hold of these tax records? We will talk about that and more about the state of uh, the eight different Trump <laughs> investigations and how many of them could actually be settled uh, quickly and maybe not act as so much of a distraction as we uh, approach a new presidential campaign. We're going to be speaking with Andrew McCarthy, former federal prosecutor and uh, distinguished contributor to Fox News and featured so regularly in uh, the National Review, the uh, magazine for which he writes. There is also all kinds of new background on the, the uh, Q Club, uh, the shooting that uh, has claimed five people's lives. They have now downscaled the number of people who are seriously injured and hospitalized, some of them still in critical condition. They've downgraded it. It's not 25 anymore. It's now 17. But some stunning revelations about the, uh, the shooter and uh, how absurd it is that they can't keep guns away from people like this. It turns out that part of the problem he completely changed his identity a couple of years ago. And he took out his old name and he took that new name uh, that he has now of Anderson Aldrich, which sounds kind of like a made-up name, doesn't it? His actual name is Brink. And uh, the reasons for his changing his name and switching his identity, we will get to that as well here on the Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. And uh, the World Cup continues with all of its excitement. Uh, I mean, thrills almost beyond imagining. 
And uh, it, it turns out today that um, for people who uh, like to see upsets, they had uh, an upset in the World Cup that experts say may be the biggest upset in a soccer history. I mean, ever. Because mighty Argentina, which was predicted to be one of the uh, final contenders for actually winning a World Cup uh, with its uh, star uh, uh, Lionel Messi, uh, they um, uh, actually lost today. And they lost to Saudi Arabia, which is kind of uh, makes up, I guess, to some extent, for the uh, team from Qatar, which uh, did not do well yesterday. But uh, this is the way that uh, Saudi Arabia was uh, described with one of its goals. They won by a score of two to one. Uh, this is, can you imagine if every, if every baseball game was two to one or one to nothing and everyone was a pitcher's duel? In any event, here is what one of the goals sounded like as it was called on television in a very excited Arabic, uh, clip 12. Okay, uh, it's nice to see somebody so happy in this holiday season. Uh, and I mean, if, if you were just hearing that, you wouldn't necessarily assume it was somebody celebrating a soccer goal. Uh, but uh, good for Saudi Arabia. And look, any any cause for people to feel more like they are part of the community of nations. And Saudi Arabia, say what you will, and maybe, just maybe, this will loosen them up to cooperate a little bit more with making some more oil available uh, so that, uh, and making it available to Europe so that they don't have to be so badly punished by what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. And, but uh, uh, again, the, the a level of joy uh, in that... Um, uh, <laughs> what is, uh, this uh, <laughs> Jeremy just put a headline on the screen. Saudis celebrate shocking World Cup win by flipping over a woman, setting her on fire. Uh, that's actually uh, reported by The Onion. So it probably <laughs> it probably didn't happen. Could we hear just a little bit more? It just seems like seasonal uh, joy. I, I do hear at one point he's saying Allah, Allah, Allah. I mean, obviously they they see the uh, role, role of the Almighty in uh, uh, defeating Argentina in soccer, but this may just be the uh, the beginning for the boys from Riyadh or wherever they're from in Saudi Arabia. Here's it sounded like this again. <laughs> 
Okay, this is, uh, again, um, uh, you know, they, they probably will be dancing in the streets and uh, quaffing lots of beer. Oh, I forgot beer's <laughs> prohibited at the, uh, at the World Cup. So, uh, but there will be reasons for very joyous celebration. And uh, can we w wish Mazel Tov to the Saudi team? Uh, there is another uh, Arab-American commentator who is uh, criticizing the United States. Why? Because of our criticism of uh, human rights in some of the Gulf states. Oh, really? And uh, comparing it to... Um, uh, basically American uh, violating rights in terms of use of the word gay. Uh, we will get to that and to more on the Trump tax returns and what all of that means coming up on the Medved Show. Just uh, moments ago, the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah, you know those guys. That's uh, Clarence Thomas and the boys, and uh, and the, the women now. And there are a bunch of them. I mean, uh, and and again, it is not all uh, conservative Republicans, uh, because three of the appointees. There's the Biden appointee, Kentenji Brown Jackson, and then the two Obama appointees. Uh, you have Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. So it's a collection of people and without dissent, meaning they were unanimous on this. The Supreme Court today denied former President Trump in his efforts to block the release of his tax records to a congressional committee that has sought the information for years. And uh, the court's order means that the Treasury Department may quickly hand over six years of tax records from Trump and some of his companies to the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, there were no recorded dissents in the court's order. And it's an order that is supposed to be implemented fairly quickly. What's, what's fascinating to me about this is that I, I have yet to hear anyone suggest that there is a deep principle involved here that Trump is dis defending. He is not being asked to go into Mar-a-Lago or go into his personal files or produce any documents. These are documents that are already in the hands of the Treasury Department, and uh, it, it doesn't really have to touch President Trump or his representatives. Uh, they are documents that... Uh, uh, at, at least uh, according to the Supreme Court now, verifying what appellate courts had said uh, beforehand, uh, President Trump has an obligation to share this material. The uh, lawmakers have said that they need Trump's tax returns from his time in office to help evaluate the effectiveness of annual presidential audits. Trump has argued that Democratic lawmakers are on a fishing expedition designed to embarrass him politically. Uh, time is not on the side of the Democrats who run the committee. The demands for the records will almost surely expire in January when Republicans take control of the House as a result of the recent midterm elections. The, um, 
Delaying Treasury from providing the requested tax information would leave the committee in Congress as a whole little or no time to complete their legislative work during this Congress, which is quickly approaching its end. So said the general counsel for the House of Representatives, whose name is Douglas N. Letter, in his filing to the court. And part of um, what what is made clear in the uh, Supreme Court's decision in, in their order uh, seems to me to be pretty unarguable. The Supreme Court generally, writes the Washington Post, has been unreceptive to assertions from Trump, who was again running for president, that he should be allowed to keep records private and that he was immune to investigation while he was in office. The justices in 2020 upheld Congress's right to uh, subpoena that information as long as certain conditions were met. And last year, they declined to block the release of Trump's financial records to New York State investigators. Uh, Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, B. Prologer, representing the Biden administration, told the Supreme Court that even if there were political elements to the Congressional Committee's request, the judicial branch should not get involved. Quote, throughout our nation's history, Congressional requests for information have been driven by mixed legislative and political motives, she told the court in a filing. But time and time again, the court has rejected attempts to invalidate otherwise appropriate legislative requests based on evidence of additional motives. She said lower courts had all evaluated the committee's request in line with the standards set by the Supreme Court in Trump versus Mazur's the 2020 decision that again sided with Congress in Trump's attempt to block the release of his records. What's fascinating about this, again, is what um, principle is Trump fighting for here? Because one of the things that has been very clear in most of the president's legal battles is he claims he's upholding some important principle. But I don't know what the principle is in this. The uh, appellate court said that uh, Trump's status as a former president figured in its decision since all previous presidents going back decades had voluntarily released their tax returns. The request was minimally intrusive. But even if Trump were still president, the court found that the request would not violate the separation of powers. The court also was unmoved by Trump's argument that his tax returns might become public. Quote, congressional investigations sometimes expose the private information of the entities, organizations, and individuals that they investigate. The Supreme Court wrote, this does not make them overly burdensome. It is the nature of the investigative and legislative processes. The court also dismissed concerns that allowing the request would inflame tensions between Congress and the president or the former president. Quote, while it is possible that Congress may attempt to threaten the sitting president with an invasive request after leaving office, every president takes office knowing that he will be subject to the same laws as all other citizens upon leaving office, the court's order said. This is a feature of our democratic republic, not a bug. Okay, so... Um, uh, do you think that there will be a prompt? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing. It's a, it's a silly question. Will there be a, a prompt?
prompt uh, response and compliance by the Trump administration with all of this, uh, we will have a chance to speak to Andy McCarthy. The, the question that I would ask here is, what is gained for the country if people are allowed uh, to run for president uh, and uh, taken seriously and somehow protected from any kind of proper legal investigation regarding their tax returns. In other words, taxes are an obnoxious obligation. And one of the things that people simply didn't know, but they probably should have known when Trump ran for president the first time, is that he had received, and this is actually money he received, a $72.3 million <laughs> refund check, which at least according to some of the news coverage was the single largest uh, refund in the history of the IRS. And that was because of his money-losing ventures on uh, New Jersey casinos in Atlantic City. Uh, the, the idea that uh, we should know about a president's health and yes, that is a very big issue with the current president who is uh, planning, at least it so seems, to run for office. There's a big statement by his former running mate who uh, claims that she is also sure to be his future running mate. Now, she got an assurance by Biden on that. We will cover those matters. We'll also be speaking coming right up to former prosecutor Andrew McCarthy about the now eight investigations that are going forward concerning President Trump. Does it help him? Really? Or hurt him? We will talk about that coming up. Entertain your brain. Oh, it's awesome. Every day on The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, always a great privilege to speak to Andrew McCarthy, a veteran and a very distinguished federal prosecutor. There's no controversy at all about his service for the Department of Justice. He is now a senior fellow at National Review Institute. He's a contributing editor at National Review, the leading source uh, in conservative journalism of a legal expertise. He uh, is also somebody who, during his service for the government, was crucial in getting convictions of some of the al-Qaeda uh, terrorist efforts which first uh, exploded at the World Trade Center. That was way back in the Clinton administration, 1993, I believe. Uh, Andy, uh, a brand new a Trump investigation that isn't really brand new, but this means a total of eight ongoing investigations of the uh, the presidential candidate? Michael, that was the number one I checked about an hour ago. <laughs> um, so I, I really think these are going to uh, proliferate, um, in, in part because I think the former president is acting recklessly. Uh, but also just, you know, to, to take him out of the equation for a moment, the history of what's now called special counsel investigations, but what became known to us in Watergate, I guess, is special prosecutor or independent 
No, special prosecutor, and then in, then we had the independent counsel statute. They're all iterations of the same idea, but the one commonality I think across the board is that these investigations tend to uh, generate new crimes. So it would be surprising if uh, if we didn't have more. But I I also think you know to your point, um, you know Trump is a very attractive target to. Uh, Democrats who have to run for office, especially in, you know, in blue uh, citizen states. And most state prosecutor positions are elected positions. There's a powerful incentive for any one of these, whether it's state attorneys general or uh, district attorneys or what have you. If they're in elected office, uh, there's a great uh, fundraising and political incentive to them to try to make a case on Trump if they can, and we've seen a number of them do it. Well, I, I understand that part of the motivation for Merrick Garland to appoint a special counsel, Jack Smith, to investigate Trump was, was to consolidate some of these investigations, and uh, he was going to be supervising the investigation of the papers that are uh, allegedly illegally held at uh, Mar-a-Lago and also be looking at Trump's role in the January 6th uh, riots in in the Capitol, if if any, right. Trump's role, if any. So uh, d does that count as a, when we're counting up eight different investigations, does that at least reduce the eight to seven because they're both under the supervision now of a special counsel Smith? Well, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, they're definitely carried as two different investigations. What I'm amused by with all of this is that when they did the search warrant at Trump's estate in Florida in August, I argued that one of the main motivators here for the investigators wanting to get into Trump's premises was that it was likely they were going to come up with documentary stuff that was at least relevant to, to uh, January 6th. Not necessarily incriminating, but certainly relevant. Uh, and when I said that, I got a lot of pushback from people saying, oh, no, no, this is not at all pretextual. Uh, you know, this is a totally separate investigation. The classified information is completely separate. And now, of course, they're so separate that the uh, attorney general has decided they can be run by the same prosecutor at the same time, which is not separate in my book, or at least in my experience. So, uh, you know, I think those are two separate transactions, but there will be a commonality of relevant evidence between them. And I think, Michael, the, the Justice Department has already decided that Trump is not criminally liable for the violence of January 6th. But what they're continuing to investigate is whether he is culpable for a conspiracy to obstruct Congress from counting the electoral votes. And their theory on that, and it's a, I think the theory is a real stretch, is that at some point the legal theory that he was pushing was so frivolous that it crosses the line into fraud. And I'm, I'd be very skeptical of pushing that theory. If fraud is now a felony, I could have indicted five cases a day when I was a, you know, when I was a, when I was a federal prosecutor dealing with defense lawyers who came up with some very creative uh, theories. So I, I just think I, I don't think that's a, a road we want to go down. 
But, I, you know, by contrast, I think as far as the documents case is concerned, they think they have that in the bag already. Okay, if you were to rate the seriousness as a political threat of any of these charges, any of these investigations, what's the one that uh, Trump's attorneys should worry about most? The documents case, because the charge is serious, if they bring it, uh, Espionage Act is very serious. Um, obstruction is a serious crime. Um, and their theory of obstruction, it looks like they have fairly strong evidence of that. It would be obstruction, for example, of a grand jury investigation to provide the grand jury with false information. Uh, remember, the FBI went to meet with uh, Trump's agents, two lawyers. One was his uh, one was acting as a lawyer. I think one was acting as a documents custodian. But they went down on June 3rd to meet with them, and they were given a package in response. This was all in response to a grand jury subpoena. Um, they were given a package of about 38 documents, uh, and the Trump people told the FBI and the Justice Department, this is all there is. And because this was in lieu of, of, of personally showing up at the grand jury to give testimony, they also wanted a statement, an affirmation that basically was for the grand jury that said, we've checked everywhere, we've done a thorough search, and this is all there is. And, of course, now we know there were uh, not only were there over 100 more, but there's good indication that uh, at least somebody must have known that there was over 100 more or certainly more at the time that they represented that there wasn't. So to me, that's the serious case because those two charges are serious charges. And unlike other things that we've seen up until now, it looks, at least from the public reporting, like the evidence is uh, compelling. Okay. In terms of uh, the, there are people out there who are saying that President Trump, in his new announcement of candidacy, used the term victim to describe himself three different times. He is saying that he is victimized here. There is an argument, at least, that um, all of these investigations and all of the pursuit of Donald Trump, even though he's out of office and he's trying to launch campaign, is only going to increase the level of sympathy and support for him. Do you think there's something to that argument? Uh, we will get back to that if we can. Can you hang with us yes, for another please. segment? Yes, I'd like to. I'd like to answer that one because that's uh, that's really the uh, million dollar question. It's also you keep reading that the Republican National Committee has been helping to pay Trump's legal bills, but I think now that he is officially a candidate. They're not allowed to do that. And the question would be, uh, who then is paying these legal bills? And then uh, also you've written before about uh, President Biden handling the student loan forgiveness. There is a new announcement about that. And uh, it would be great to get some perspective on this boondoggle from the Biden administration, uh, their student debt relief program with no congressional authorization that I could see of any kind. Uh, we will get back to that with uh, Andrew McCarthy from Fox News and National Review coming up on the Medved Show.
And for those who just love investigations of politicians, uh, there's going to be plenty to digest uh, coming up. Because starting in January, there will be multiple investigations of Hunter Biden and his business affairs and of uh, President Biden and various aspects of his leadership that will be launched by the new Republican Congress. And they're the ongoing investigations of President Trump in uh, Georgia and in New York City and in New York State and really around the country. I think if we had a life on other planets, they would be investigating Trump, too. There are eight major investigations right now. We're speaking about them with Andrew McCarthy of National Review and a contributor to Fox News. So, uh, Andy, first of all, very simple question. Uh, what do you think the chances are that all of these investigations are settled by the time, for instance, we go to the Iowa caucuses, the real beginning of the presidential race uh, in uh, January of 2024? Think they'll all be taken care of? Well, I mean, the, the eight that we probably have that we have now, uh, I doubt all of them would be, but, you know, but a goodly number maybe. For example, as we're having this conversation, Michael, there have the Trump organization is on trial in Manhattan on a tax case, a, a, a criminal tax case. So, you know, that'll be settled in two or three weeks. So some of these matters will be decided. I don't think the civil, the big civil case that was brought by the uh, state attorney general in New York on a 220-page complaint uh, that will take years to work out, but I think we've seen in the last week their real objective on that one was to get a monitor in place over uh, over Trump's organization, at least as it does business in New York. So um, it, it, I think some of them are finite enough that they'll be closed, but I expect more, and some of these will take a while to work themselves out. So, okay, the, the other question that we'd asked right before the break and that you were interested right. in responding to is will these ongoing investigations uh, and, and and neither time can wither nor custom stale their infinite variety as shakespeare wrote right. there there are a lot uh are they going to end up helping trump or harming his campaign so i love this um topic which all the smart guys uh bring this out rich lowry and i uh went around about this on our po podcast a couple of days ago from uh, National Review. So, you know, I think, Michael, that if a case that was brought against Trump were in the nature of Russiagate, you know, the collusion narrative that proved to be completely or substantially baseless, then that would be seen by people rightly as an abuse of power, and it could redound to his benefit. But I think to the contrary... If the public is convinced that some of these cases, and I'm thinking in particular of the documents case, involve real evidence of real crimes that any person who committed them, like anyone who misleads a grand jury, is going to be prosecuted. No one's going to think that somebody's being singled out for, uh, you know, if there's a black and white lie that's told to a grand jury, they'd go after you, they'd go after me. So, you know, he's not going to get much rhythm out of an argument that, uh, He's being singled out for that. And the other thing I would point out to people, this is a little bit of inside baseball, but I don't think much. When the Justice Department writes an indictment, when that eventually happens, 
they are not going to write a bare bones statutory, you know, on such and such a day, Trump knowingly and willfully violated, you know, Title 18, Section whatever. Um, they are going to write a narrative indictment that powerfully tells the story of what they expect to be able to back up with evidence. And those could be uh, those could be very convincing reads. You know, the people always say an indictment is only an accusation. It doesn't prove anything. But when you have an indictment that's heavily uh, dependent on documents and other, you know, other evidence that you know you have uh, that you can prove and you can tell it in a story, uh, those tend to, to move public opinion, I think. Who's paying Trump's legal bills now? Well, I think Trump is paying them, although, uh, you know, there's been some reporting about, you know, some of the financial devices that are under the auspices of the Trump organization. Uh, and there are some of these PACs that he's been able to uh, resort to. But I think, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, once you're formally a candidate, there are there are significant federal law restrictions on what you can use fundraising for. And his ability uh, to have his legal fees either, you know, I know that the Republican National Committee has paid some of them. There's been reporting on that. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, but he has a lot of legal fees and he has a lot more legal fees. Uh, so it's going to be a problem for him. I mean, he's a billionaire. You know, look, I think his the latest thing I saw was they they figure his net worth is one point three billion. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to be singing sad songs for him. And I see that there was reporting a day or two ago that he just closed a big real estate deal with uh, with a Saudi outfit and Oman. That seems like it's going to be fairly lucrative. So. You know, I, I don't think will you and I will be having to lend Trump any money. I think he'll be all right. But this is a, you know, this is going to be a problem. It's going to be a lot of legal fees. And speaking of problems, uh, Bi President Biden has just announced just hours ago that uh, they were going to extend the pause on student loan repayments through June of next year. Is this legal? Uh, I think extending the pause, there is um, uh, there's some statutory authority for. Um, he can't wipe out debt, but they passed in the um, in the Clinton years, and then again in the Obama years, they passed some statutes, and, and these were signed into law that gave the president uh, discretion to uh, extend. And change the terms of payments. What he what he has never been given, or what the presidency has never been given the authority to do, is to wipe out the debt, which is what he's, you know, right. ultimately trying to do in the courts. So, so the I extension, the extension, of, he's got a lot of leeway. Uh, what's fascinating, I, I'm sure you've looked at the exit polls for the midterm elections, and there's just a huge preponderance of the vote went to Democrats for people under thirty. And uh, there's some speculation that uh, even though the public at large may not have welcomed uh, all of this effort to get uh, help pay off people's student loans, uh, this may have helped Democrats uh, in the election. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch this because uh, – People that age are not notoriously a reliable voting block. 
and they do seem to have come out in pretty strong numbers. And this is only anecdotal, but I, I see with my own uh, son that it seems like the universities take a lot more interest in, um, in, in encouraging students to vote now, including like, you know, the, the packages that they get at the beginning of the year that, that uh, have all the things about the, the they need to know about the coming quarter or the coming semester. Um, I was quite surprised to see in the packet a, uh, you know, a vote by mail application, <laughs> uh, you know, telling them if you're away from home, you have to make sure you take care of this because you got to make sure to vote. Um, so I think they're getting a lot more direction from the academy than uh, they previously got. But, of course, I'm, I'm only relating my own experience, but it certainly does match up with the, the trend line here, right, which seems to be that there's more participation than there used to be from that demographic. Right. And, and that demographic makes up for the other demographics. In other words, if you take out the younger voters, the ones under 45, particularly the ones under 30, uh, you have a whole different outcome in this election in a number of some of the close Senate races and in terms of who controls the Senate and uh, the level of Republican control in the House. Uh, so great to catch up with Andrew McCarthy. You can read his latest material we have this week in the Trump investigations, which is by necessity a long piece. Uh, that's posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. And uh, Andy, let me wish you and your family a uh, a, a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you're not going to be observing a day of mourning in, in place of Thanksgiving, oh, are you? I'm going to be observing a day of uh, uh, thanking God that I live in the greatest country in the world, which it still is, no matter what they try to do to it. And I wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving. Amen. And uh, may, may we all enjoy a day of gratitude because gratitude is emphatically due. Uh, we're going to be talking about some other calls for gratitude. Uh, and before we speak to a representative of the North American Indian Cultural Center in Boston, uh, right near where the Thanksgiving events occurred to launch this greatest nation on God's green earth.